Hello and welcome to Meet the Education Researcher. This is a podcast from the Faculty of Education, Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. Hello, my name is Neil Selwyn and in this episode of Meet the Education Researcher, I'm talking with Hiert Kelchtemans from the University of Leuven in Belgium. Hiert was recently a visiting scholar at Monash, so I took the opportunity to grab him for a fascinating chat about his work. Hiert's research sets out to unpack the working lives of teachers and principals, and he investigates how individual biography is shaped by organisational contexts. So this is certainly a different approach than most other research on teachers and teaching. So first off, I asked Hiert how he would describe his own research interests. I'm interested in the individual educational professional. I would normally say teacher, but it's a bit broader than that. It includes principals as well. In relation to the organizational context where they're working, mm. traditionally in education, especially also in teacher education, people would focus on the people part, like the individual. And I think one of the things, one of the flaws of that approach is that we forget that educational professionals are not uh, acting out there somewhere, but they're always situated in the context of an organization which does influence what I do, what I can do, uh, what I feel comfortable of doing. Yeah, so you're interested in structure and agency. Exactly. Now, you focus on aspects of teaching that are not always talked about. So, I mean, you've done mm-hmm. work on micropolitics, performativity, mm-hmm. emotions, vulnerability. What attracts you to this sort of dark side of teaching? Well, it's interesting that you mentioned the dark side because in, in the micropolitical perspective, I think one of the contributions of that lens is that it looked into how power issues play out in mm. organizations. I try to push that idea on the one hand to acknowledge the issues of power and interests, which is a vocabulary that is traditionally missing in a lot of the educational jargon, I would say. Yeah. But on the other hand, to also look into the potential, I mean, understanding dynamics of a school in terms of people pursuing interests for the better or the worse. Yeah. Uh, is, an, I think, a very enlightening approach compared to mainly psychological approaches where you would think of colleagues as, well, he's a very conservative colleague or he's just very extrovert. And I think it's important for teacher education, if you can help teachers or professional education like uh, principals understand that what's going on in, in schools and organizations is um, behavior mainly driven by interests So the thing becomes negotiable rather than being fixed in whatever personality trait it's in. Mm. So are you focusing on teaching as work or teaching as pedagogy? I mean, do you see a distinction? Well, I think you can distinguish both, but in practice, there'll be a combination all the time. Mm. So a teacher engaged in pedagogical practice is at the same time doing a job and does work. And one of the things, if I go back to where I started my career being interested in um, how teachers' understanding of their work lives and the conditions they work in, how that informs their practice, it becomes obvious that maybe compared to other professions, there is much less strict uh, separation between the two. So that's why for me that strict distinction would not be very informative. And people talk about teaching as a vocation, which kind of imbues this idea of passion as well as just a job that you're doing for the money. Yes, 
with all the risk, of course, that the, uh, it opens up, again, from the micro-political lens, mm. the possibility to abuse people because they would overcommit compared to the time that they, as workers, are being paid for. So there is it, there's a tricky thing. On the one hand, I think uh, I, I always claim that professionalism and education requires expertise and commitment. Mm. In Dutch, we say engagement, so you have the double E. And the commitment, of course, is an enormous strength. At the same time, it's also a pitfall because people might overcommit. And I see lots of teachers ending up with burnouts because of overcommitment yeah. rather than being just weak personalities not capable to do the job anymore. Well, I was going to ask you how, how things changed over your career. We see a lot now about burnout and worn out teachers. I mean, are you seeing these issues kind of rising over time or is it, has it always been like that? What has changed is the enormous increase of, uh, there's different words used for it, performativity logic, accountability policy. So I think teaching and education has become more and more understood as a commodity. Mm. So something which you can define what it is for, what it should look like, and then measure whether it's met or not. And that has caused enormous machinery of assessment, comparative evaluations, testing and stuff, which has, I think, enormously affected teachers' work lives, mm. their working conditions, and increased the pressure on them. Michael Apple uses a word like intensification, yeah, yeah. which in a way sounds like a euphemism, although it really makes the point. But I think that is something teachers are struggling with, especially because education will never be the hard science technical thing of producing learning outcomes only. You always end up being responsible for other human beings that have been entrusted to your care. Yeah. Um, and I think that phrasing is important and it may sound like really archaic or old-fashioned nowadays because I think it's, on the one hand, it's educationally true. On the other hand, it's, as far as I know, what really attracts most teachers to the job. So you're talking about care then. I mean, are you fundamentally hopeful about the future of the teaching profession? Yeah, let's say yes. I think as a pedagogue, as an educationalist, I just we can't afford to be pessimistic. So, and people's capacity to to relate to each other and be creative in building forces against the dominant forces. Mm. So, in my work on micropolitics, for example, I've met so many cases of committed teachers playing the system. Yeah, yeah. In a very smart way for the benefit of the children. And then, of course, you can have a huge debate about whether or not they should be entitled, whether or not that is arrogance. Or you could say, no, it's just educational people taking their responsibility and be willing to live with the consequences. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, I'm really interested how this kind of more critical or sceptical approach goes down with your colleagues. I mean, particularly policymakers. A lot of people in education just want to hear what works and why. Well, to be honest, from time to time, you feel like you're a lonely voice shouting in the desert. <laughs> On the other hand, off the record, if you talk with those people as parents, mm. it's very easy to remind them of those dimensions in education that go beyond what is technical, instrumental, measurable. And so it's kind of an irony to, on the one hand, see them believe in these very managerial systems mm. While in real life, they know it's a way of thinking that doesn't do justice to the complexity of what is happening. And they are human after all. Well, let's hope they remain that, yes. <laughs> 
Now, I'm just interested in terms of actual specific research projects. Has there been a particular project or a book or a paper where you've particularly nailed this issue? I mean, looking back, which of your projects do you think you really encapsulated all these concerns? Well, if I, for once, get into this measurement mode, if I look at the work that's been read and used a lot, much often much to my surprise, then I'll just mention two articles. One is the study on micropolitics in teacher induction mm-hmm. that we published 2002, which I think has helped a um, lot of teacher educators and future teachers to look at the job and the job situation from a different lens and come to understand this display of uh, personal and individual actions and commitment as well as the dynamics of the working conditions. And the other concept that I've tried to elaborate is what I call structural vulnerability. So the fact that teaching as a job structurally implies a sense of vulnerability, meaning that you're responsible and yet you're not in control Mm. of a lot of the crucial conditions. And instead of seeing vulnerability as a personality weakness, I just say it's part of the job and dealing with it, it's part of what the specific professionalisms teachers uh, actually try to enact. And even just you saying that out loud and writing it down allows people to actually kind of give voice to things that they've, they, they experience themselves. It's a really useful thing for an academic to do, I guess. You, even using that word vulnerability, mm. for some people, uh, in the beginning I had reactions from teachers who felt a little offended, like yeah. patronised. But most of the time and over the years, it's been picked up internationally in contexts where that really surprised me. Yeah. And it is an interesting link also to bring in and acknowledge the emotional dimension in teaching as a job rather than, again, being emotions being just an individual issue that, well, you've got some more emotional people than others. Yeah, yeah. So enduring and embracing this vulnerability as part of your professionalism doesn't leave people emotionally indifferent. And I think what I'm trying to do in my work is develop coherent and grounded words and language to help people read and understand their situation in a more clear way, maybe more complex way, and then to be better able to judge what to do because that remains a responsibility for every educationist where he or she is. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I often ask people a theory question and then a methods question, but I guess with your work, it's kind of everything mixed up together. You're taking this kind of narrative biographical approach, which I guess lends itself to specific theoretical approaches, but also methodological approaches. I mean, what is it about that approach that really works for you? Well, I was drawn to the narrative and the biographical, especially that combination in the early 80s, when uh, I was struck by the fact that uh, when teachers talk about their work, they apparently engage in narrative forms of discourse. Mm. So I've never run into a teacher who started quoting from handbooks or policy papers, but teachers tell anecdotes. And then there is this argumentative power in narrative discourse where the story often runs off with the storyteller. Yeah. Because of the internal coherence the story uh, uh, needs or has. Um, I basically started using them because I thought if that's their normal way, their spontaneous way of talking, that might be a, a valid entry to understand their thinking and their sense-making of what they're experiencing. Yeah, absolutely. So that's what dragged me into it. I think the challenge is to use that kind of methodology while at the same time 
finding ways also to capture, let's say, the structural yeah. environment uh, in which they have to operate. There's this idea that you don't know what you don't know. Presumably you can't speak about what it is that you, you're exactly. not necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I was really interested kind of practically. Have you got any tips or advice for people that are taking this approach? Because it's not just sitting down with a teacher and saying, tell me your story. The simple answer to that question would be is to start treating so-called informal storytelling talk seriously. Mm. There's a, a book that really inspired me a long time ago. Jennifer Nyers wrote this book, Primary Teachers Talking. And like this whole idea, if you would speak to the teachers, they say, oh, we were just chatting or talking. And this was, But to take that discourse seriously as a way to understand how they make sense of what they're doing and just mirror that back, that message back to them, like take yourself in your spontaneous discourse seriously. Mm. And then, of course, one step further, which I think is necessary to move beyond the just cozy sharing ideas, is to allow forms of critical questioning, like, are you sure? Because uh, that looks different from me. That yeah. So instead of having the storytelling as a kind of trying to converge and have things as cozy as possible, find ways to um, build in a questioning moment where they're taken for granted uh, assumptions and uh, content of the story um, may be questioned to yeah. some point. Yeah, absolutely. And I always find when I do an interview in the field that the most interesting bit of the interview is when you've turned the tape recorder off exactly. and you're just packing up, which is incredibly annoying. I guess <laughs> the final thing I'm interested, always interested in, what are you thinking about next? What's the idea that's just bubbling in the background that you might be doing in five years' time? What's mm. coming over the horizon? Well, actually, during my study visit here, one of the things I hope to accomplish is to find time to read. It's an other irony of academia that you hardly find, especially once you're in the career, you're so-called established. Yeah. It's really hard to find time to study enough new approaches so you can keep going. So I'm trying to find my way into what is generally called social materialism. Oh, yeah, yeah. So bring in issues, so combining the agency structure with issues of speciality and the whole material reality in schools and how that interferes. We've started, we started doing a bit of artifact analysis, like even administrative form. Yeah, yeah. And it's just amazing when you start, when you go into that and to see how that influences, how a form that mm. is being brought into a school brings people together in different ways, gets new organizational routines going. And I thought, well, if something as simple as a, a form that is basically just information transmitting tool, if that already has that kind of impact, yeah. then how about more sophisticated things like uh, educational tools, uh, virtual uh, learning platforms, and then this whole idea of space, like schools still being places where yeah. people spend time together within a confined space and how that determines what education is and can be. It's something that I'm really, really intrigued by. Yeah. And if you're interested in structures. Again. Yeah. yeah. That's perfect. Well, I mean, that's all really, really interesting. It's been great taking time to speak to you. Many thanks for taking the time and good luck in the future. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome.